Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanachef and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. That sound like him at all? Not at all. Greetings, greetings. Oh, that was much more like it. <clears throat> it's much more of a pervy, breathy, uh, breathy, uh, like, you know, he's about to die from uh, walking up the stairs type of uh, sound. It's because that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see, our dear departed, I mean, our dear friend, uh, John Palmer is uh, speaking, presenting, doing something at the uh, Master Brewers uh, meeting somewhere, Albuquerque or San Antonio or Argentina. I hell, I don't know. Somewhere. So when he's not on the radio speaking, he's speaking somewhere else. He's just guy, always guy just speaking. won't shut up. Just won't shut up. He's always yeah, yakety yakety somewhere. <clears throat> no, I think I think him and uh, Colin, uh, I think, are going to do some talk on the uh, water book. They came out with the water book guy recently, and uh, along with that comes talking, talking about the book. Have you read that book? I haven't. <laughs> I go. Yeah, is it? You think the, I should? Yeah, I don't know. Is it in the plans? Is uh, there anything in the know. book that you don't know? Hey, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's tons. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty much pick up any book, including one that I have written, and uh, there's stuff in it I don't know. Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff. Pick up any book. I'm sure there's stuff in it I have no idea is even in there, including brewing classic styles and yeast. <laughs> stuff you've written? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, really? That? <laughs> I put that in there? It's like I go back and listen to... Uh, we're doing the Brewing with Style shows now, so I go back and I listen to the original Jamel show when we were covering the styles kind of the first time. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. And, and uh, <laughs> when I do, I'm, th- I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, that's really good information, you know? I'm like, well, I, was, I was good. Where, where the hell did that come from? I'm like, I've, I've forgotten so much. I don't know what, what else I've filled my brain with, but it certainly, you know, hasn't retained a lot of this stuff. And I knew at one time that was clearly I was on it. Maybe it's your brain is full, so every time you learn something new, it pushes something you knew before out. Right, right, absolutely. So when I watch like an episode of Duck Dynasty, I'm focused on Psy and all that stuff, and then there goes Robust Porter. Yeah, gone, just emptied. I'm like, uh, I think it's dark. And there was a Duck Dynasty marathon last weekend, wasn't there? Oh yeah, I, bad for us. You know, I haven't been uh, doing the Duck Dynasty, the, the repeats, because uh, I've seen every episode since the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to. I don't have to watch the repeats. It's all in, up here now. I've got it all stored away. I just moved out all that 
brewing information gone, filled it with Duck Dynasty. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, you, you need to remember all the useful stuff in life. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're a pro brewer or anything. No. It's just a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Don't. It's totally meaningless. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of totally meaningless. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> speaking of our fine sponsor, Blickman Engineering. Uh, Blickman with uh, two ends. Uh, they uh, sponsor this show, so you don't have to uh, pay for it. Uh, great folks. Uh, I have uh, known uh, John Blickman for quite some time, and uh, he's a brilliant guy. And uh, he uses that brilliance to make some brilliant products. So check him out. Go to uh, BlickmanEngineering.com and check out all that fun stuff that he has uh, there on the website for you to enjoy. And uh, be sure to go and check out their booth at the uh, National Homebrewers Conference coming up in, uh, where is it, uh, um, Michigan this year? Yes. Yeah. Grand Rapids, right? Grand Rapids. Thinking of uh, kind of driving around the area a little bit, uh, too. I think that would be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Coming up in June, so check that out. When we just got back from uh, JBF. Uh, you didn't. I did not. How'd it go for you guys? Good. It's uh, always fun. I love... Uh, I'm not into the people that are there just getting drunk for a beer fest, but it seemed like there was a lot of, um, you know, actual beer nerds there, which I love, and people that are totally into the learning about the beers and finding new beers that they haven't tried before and... You know, these these new experiences and lots of home brewers, and I love that part. More that, so than previous years, you're saying? It seemed like there were more this year hmm. in every session. Because a lot of the previous years, it seemed like just the member session would be um, busy with, uh, you know, home brewers. There would be pretty much just home brewers there. And the other sessions, they'd be a little more scattered. This year, standing out in front of my booth, which is what I do, I just go hang out there and then, you know, talk to people. And uh, this year, every time I was there, it was a constant stream of homebrewers coming by. So it's fantastic. That I actually really enjoy. Homebrewers <laughs> who could articulate themselves more or, or stumbling. Or not. I mean, there was a couple of guys that started punching each other in the face. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, like, oh, they had their own personal fight club right in front of your booth? Yeah, pretty much. Right, right next to me, like six inches away. Like in earnest, me. hitting each other in earnest. They popped each other pretty good. Wow. <laughs> and then they're like, well, you know, you hit me. Well, you said stuff about me. You hit me. You know, I don't know. But it was, it was weird. But it was much better this year, though, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, they ended up like just calming down and it was fine. But uh, no, I, I love uh, meeting all the homebrewers and just uh, chatting about, you know, things that they're interested in and the beers and all that stuff. That's totally cool. That I really enjoy. And then... Uh, you notice the Bruce Strong shirt I am wearing? Yes. Which I did not get from the Brewing Network. I got through a listener, bought me this shirt. That's very generous. <laughs> That's the new design, yes. though. Yes, because I don't have one. I didn't have one. I've been asking for one for months. And every time I'm here, I look, and there are no extra larges. Uh, are you new uh, here? <laughs> well, apparently so. I've got, like, the first shirt from the first printing eight years ago or whenever it was. Yeah, that's that's how you that's know what I've got. We're on top of the whole staff here. Doc wears his old red Brewing Network shirt with, like, the first iteration <laughs> yes, of the logo. Right, yeah, right. We, we all got merch in, like, 2006, and we never looked back. 
Right. And it's not like, you know, I have other choices and I'm going old school. It's because that's the only one I've got. So uh, I've been trying to get one of these new ones. And then I saw a listener. He was uh, walking up uh, in the book area. And I'm like, ah, sweet shirt. I'm like, I wish I had one. <laughs> the guy's like, well, I'll go get you one. I'm like, oh, no, no. I'm like, no, no, no. I said, if, if, if they've got them, I'm sure I could go and talk them out of one. They'll give it to me for free. I said, you don't have to buy one. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he, but he went and got me one. So uh, I can't remember his name, but very nice of him uh, to uh, go and get me the shirt. And I really appreciate it and how I'm wearing it today. So there, you know, listeners got me one. Ha! Huh. Well, what do you need us for? Nothing, apparently. <laughs> yeah, we, you, your co-host didn't even show up. You got right. no merch. You got no co-host. Co- co-host, I got nothing. You got no one at your brewery right now? No, there's people at the brewery. Oh, that's good. I, I got I got solid people at the brewery. Good. It's just the rest of my life that is completely falling apart. Right. You know, you're going to be like the president of the U.S. You know, you go gray just immediately. You open your own brewery. <laughs> right, You right. wake up the next day yeah. gray. Yeah, exactly. The president's always, by the end of the first time, four years, they age like yes. 30. Yes. They become like withered husks in no time at all. Yeah, brewing is like that. I remember some, so. some murmurings that when uh, President Obama was first elected, like, oh, it's not going to, sure, it happened all the ones, but Obama, he's going to, he's kind of got a youthful look. He's going to stay that way. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> he's already looking old, yeah. You look at him uh, four years later, and man, he got jacked up. All right, speaking of uh, four years later and jacked up, that means uh, it's a Q&A show today. Yes. Palmer isn't here. I figure I can answer all the questions to my own satisfaction, and uh, that should be good. And I can elaborate with, um, you know, the amateur guy questions, which I'm sure some yes. of you are dying to hear. And the, amateur, the, the expert answers you can provide, having uh, won the Brewcaster Challenge. Oh, that's right. I know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Sure you do. Sure you do. Yeah, I wrapped a, a T-shirt around my carboy. I'm a freaking <laughs> expert, baby. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you like these Q&A sessions, you can send in your questions to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, if if you, you've got a you know question that can be handled in a Q&A, uh, just title it Q&A question or whatever it might be. If you got a show topic idea, label it show topic. It makes it much easier to go through the thousand emails and figure out uh which ones we can cover and which ones we can't uh when we're looking for show ideas or looking for uh material to go through here and if you're listening you can also listen live you go to the com, and there's a uh, listen uh button you click on that and you can uh, uh listen to the live feed and you can chat and uh, ask questions live of uh palmer and myself and uh scott the uh, soulless ginger I think I prefer Scott the Jew. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Neither's great, but, you know. Scott the soulless Jew? Mm, the soulless part is what's getting it's me. It's the soulless yeah. that gets you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How I, am I going to get to heaven? I thought you know? since you don't have a soul, it wouldn't bother you. Well, I wouldn't have a soul if I was a ginger, but in point of fact, I have brown hair. <laughs> oh, you know, sure can, you do. You know, I, I you can dye it all you want, but... <laughs> You can't cover it up. It's get, obvious. I get confused listeners that I run into when I get events and stuff, and they go, you're Scott, the, you're not a red. And I go, I know. I know that. Nobody else on my team oh, seems to know that. please. You can try and cover it up. But right. Come on. You catch my facial hair in just the right sun at the right time of uh-huh, day, and uh-huh. maybe there's a glimpse of red. Which, which Grecian formula are you using? 
Ah, <laughs> uh, please. All right. Ginger, please. Uh, first, first question. You want me to read it? Sure. Oh, is that what Palmer normally does? Okay, that's I'll, I'll try and read it in a breathy voice. No, that's no. Uh, I used to uh, trade back and forth. This is from Kyle Motley. Hey, Jamil, I use the Mr. Malty calculator with every brew I do, and I really believe it has done a world of good for my beers. I had a question on viability when repitching a washed slurry. On the calculator, harvest date is the main function that determines the viability. My question is, if I let my beer in primary at ale temperatures for three weeks and then harvested the yeast, would it be the same viability if I had harvested the yeast after one week or even two weeks? Uh, in the yeast book uh, that you and Chris write, well, I remember reading that the yeast is more stable under beer, uh, but I would imagine that letting it sit at room temperature would affect the viability. Is there a rule of thumb to estimate the loss and viability of yeast sitting in primary so I can keep my pitching rates consistent? Uh, it's a good question, and uh, everything that he says in there is, I think, you know, accurate and correct and true. You know, um, uh, the... Just storing the beer, uh, the yeast under the beer, that's, you know, a nice, safe, stable way to, to store it because, you know, if your beer is clean, it's, you know, going to sit and stay there. But you're at warm temperatures, that's not so good for it. So a lot of times when they're talking about storing yeast under beer, they're talking about, well, when you harvest the, the yeast, you store it with the beer. You know, you're harvesting some beer with that yeast, and, and that's where it's stored, and it's stored cold in the fridge with a little bit of beer over it right fridge fridge temperature yeah and that helps um maintain uh you know the viability a little longer the decline in viability and the thing he's asking is all right so you know at room temperature leaving the 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 beer on the yeast and then you know waiting to harvest you know what's the change in viability so i can adjust my pitching rate well truth be told you know it's always just an estimate and the viability of the yeast is going to change based off of, uh, you know, what what kind of nutrients uh, they've had access to, what kind of beer they fermented, how much oxygen, you know, zinc, things like that. You know, what kind of condition they were in going into the beer, what kind of pitching rate you used, IBUs of the beer, just a lot of little factors that are going to determine, um, you know, what the viability is at the end. It's generally pretty high, but it could be lower if you stress them out during fermentation or push them, you know, uh, past the limits or start out with not so healthy yeast. At the end, that's going to determine how quickly that initial drop off in viability occurs. So the only real way to know is to measure viability. You have to uh, get a hemostatometer, some dye, and, you know, microscope and look at them and see. Uh, what what kind of viability you're getting? So that there's no real rule of thumb because there's just too many right. factors. Right. There's there's too many factors. Uh, you know, you can you can say, well, maybe it's uh, you know five percent, you know, from one week to the next. I'll go with something like that. If if I had to ballpark something, I'd be like, okay, two weeks in, knock five or ten percent off, and three weeks maybe fifteen percent. Does it matter the the type of beer it's sitting on? Like, what if it's sure. a stout versus a lager? Um, you know, that's an interesting question too, because you know, generally, you know, high gravity, you know, more alcohol, uh, higher osmotic pressure, uh, extremely hoppy beers, things like that uh, can have an effect. But 
you mentioned, uh, you know, stout versus, uh, you know, like a, a pale pilsner or something like that. Right. Dark beers, there's something about dark beers that affects uh, yeast and their ability to ferment and may also affect uh, viability to some extent. I, I don't really know, but um, that's one of the, the interesting things that uh, Chris and I have been talking about is uh, how uh, very dark beers affect yeast. So it's interesting you bring that point up. Um, so, yeah, I, I just knocked 5% off. If you, everybody always wants an answer. So I'd be like, um, instead of it depends, it depends, but use 5% a week. Let's say that and see how that works for you. I, I would rather you pitch a little bit more than not pitch enough. So a little bit more is always not that bad an impact versus not pitching enough, which is always a bad impact. Right. Is there, there's never a reason not to just over pitch a little bit, right? Right, right. Um, you know, in commercial brewing, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, a cost thing versus, mm-hmm. you know, um, anything else. So there you go. You want to take a break and then do yeah. the next one? Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get into more of your questions right after this. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact rain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like AHA member deals that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and E. 
Zymergy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant well thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The auto sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing a live Q&A show. John, out of, out of pocket, he is uh, off mastering something in somewhere south of here. Is there anything that That's guy not is accurate. not... Is there anything he's not a master of? Like, he's does he, you know, can he drive a car really well? No. No, he sucks at driving? Oh, he's horrible. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like taking your life into your hands when you drive with him. Really? Oh, that oh, bad? Man. Oh, fucking... So he used up all his skill scary, in beer. Scary is is all get out. Oh, that's actually. I don't know why that's satisfying. I hate when every when people are like, oh yeah, he so plays an instrument everything. and he right. speaks multiple languages and he's really good looking. Like, yeah. Oh God, I hate that. No, guy. Palmer doesn't have any of that. He's got his his knowledge of metallurgy and brewing, and that's it. He's an idiot savant. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so God. I'm gonna sleep like a baby tonight. <laughs> I mean, he's a wonderful person. And he's uh, willing to drive. You just don't want to get in that car. <laughs> Drives like a crazy wow. man. Scares the crap out of me every time we drive. Is he? Well, I'm so, a very aggressive driver. He's a very free spirited driver. I don't know. Well, because there's two types of shitty drivers. There's aggressive, and uh-huh. they actually know what they're doing, uh-huh. and they're good uh-huh. drivers, right. but they scare uh-huh. people. That's yes. me. And yes. then there's the timid, I'm, I am suck at driving, and I'm going 54 on the freeway, and I'm scared because 
big right. rigs are blowing by me. Yeah, he's not scared. I, I think he does not fear death when he grabs that steering wheel. <laughs> it's pretty much like, you know, hey, I'm getting there. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, but just never ride with him. Every time I've ridden with him, it's been scary. Okay, so I love I love John. He's wonderful. But I mean, didn't he like back out of the driveway at the old studio, like hit a parked car? Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's great. He's a wonderful person. I love him. He's smart. He's kind. He's funny. Right, you are not attacking his character, right. right? But I do not want to ride with him. I'm always like, I'll drive. <laughs> You sure your wife doesn't want to drive? I'll I'll carry you piggyback. You know, I'm, let's take a donkey. <laughs> yeah, let's do something. Let's just stay here. No, he's wonderful, but it, uh, don't yeah, don't ride with him. It's good to know. Well, look at hey, we're always looking for rule of thumbs and ways to yes. just sort of lock out and answer questions. Yes, rule of thumb: don't ride with John. There you go. On to the next question. That's the next one. Yeah, <laughs> from Rob Vralol. I don't know how to pronounce uh, V R. Where's the vowel? Anyway, I've been buying hops in bulk uh, mm. after harvest and vacuum sealing them in one-ounce packages. I'm wondering how long these will last in the freezer before I shouldn't bother with them. Like, do the aromas fade? You know, the alpha acids flavor? Thanks. Keep up the good work. You know, um, pelletized hops that are properly packaged early on, you know, uh, nitrogen flushed, uh, those mylar bags that are oxygen impervious and light impervious all that like like more beer does um those things you can throw in the freezer and as long as you keep them extremely cold they last a long time i think there was a recent study about uh (coughs) hops and uh storage times and uh they've found like five years down the road there was very little drop off in aroma and flavor in in hops wow whether it be whole cone or as long as they were stored properly so nitrogen flush oxygen permeable uh impervious bags and you probably sealed and stored in a freezer you know they they were great when you and that had been my experience uh with the the hops from more i'd Open those packs up three, four years later, and it's just like new. I was, I was shocked. That is amazing. Now, if you don't freeze them, uh, at Heretic we were, um, we had a, uh, hop freezers, and when we moved to the new place, we didn't have the hop freezers when we when we set up when we got to the new place. So we stored the the hops in um, our cold box for product storage. It's like thirty five degrees, and the when you're storing you know a sealed bag like these mylar bags and they're sealed um the hops are fine at that kind of temperature you can get i think six months or a year two years out of them before they're open once they're opened and the oxygen touches them then you have a much shorter time frame and but the colder you store them the longer they last so for our open bags now we got the freezer set up again you put the your open bags in the freezer and that really helps so long story short depending on how he's prepped them he put them in the vacuum sealer i mean there's still quite a bit of oxygen in there um i mean vacuum vacuum sealing i'm sure certainly helps and then you know if you put them in the freezer uh you know i imagine they're good for a year i I don't think they're gonna go bad you know that quick but you know the, the more you can do to protect them from oxygen and oxidation 
the longer they're going to last. So less oxygen, colder temperatures, they last longer. If you have it open, does it leave it prone to, you know, freezer burn or, you know, build up on it? I guess, does that depend on the freezer? Yeah, right. It's going to depend on the freezer. They have the frost free and things like that, which they warm up. They have cycles of warming where they melt off the frost and then they cool back down again. Um, but, you know, it's really, you know, the oxygen accessing them. And when you just, when you have a bag and you just roll up the end, that slows down the oxygen, but doesn't really seal it off completely. So uh, that can be an issue too. So the hops that you added to the the Brewcaster Challenge beer, the Black IPA, were those yeah. sitting just out in room temperature? Because they were they were old, weren't they? Yeah, that yeah, was the problem. Was, right? There was a nasty bag of old hops in room temperature. We weren't using. No, it was in the it was in the fridge, but it was something we we don't use, which is why I threw it in the beer. So how old were those for reference? Uh, a couple of years old, I think. A couple of years. Yeah, and they had been sitting in the fridge the whole time. They were they were actually kind of brown. <laughs> are they really? God, what a jerk you are. Well, you like sabotaging yourself. It's almost like I hypnotized you. And- no. I love you so much. I did not want you to fail. I fed you. I fed you. Crush your soul. Well, what soul? Your soulless soul. Mm-hmm. So, and those, had they been in the fridge that entire time? I'm just trying to figure um, out if the yeah. fridge is effective at all. I mean, it sounds like they have to be frozen. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's the the fridge will the colder the temperature, the the more the longer it takes for um, chemical reactions, oxidation things to happen. So every ten degrees C, um, you know, lower cuts the the rate of staling by half. So you know, colder, 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 and you'll be you'll be better. The every ten degrees up, you're doubling the rate of reaction. Can you? Is there? Are there people who've rigged up uh, like chest freezers to get colder than normal? Like, how cold could you really store these things? Negative ten? Um, yeah, I imagine you could get a, a freezer to go lower. They have, um, you know, like lab freezers, cryogenic freezers, and things like that. You know, super cold freezers, and then they have like minus eighty fr- freezers and all that that they use for storing yeast and things. So, what about for breweries where cost is not an option? Like your Sierra Nevadas, is that how they store their hops in bulk? No, I don't think so. Um, they have a freezer room, as I recall. I haven't, I haven't checked out their hop room in a long time, so hmm. I'm not sure how they're doing it right now. But they had like a freezer room that they were storing their hops in. And they get leaf hops. And they buy them in big, uh, you know, burlap blocks, bales of hops. So. Do you want to lock out with something? You know, like... Uh, <laughs> So you know, keep your keep your hops cold. I'm I'm Jamil Zanishev. Remember, we gotta we gotta lock out every question. <laughs> no, keep your hops cold. Yeah, colder right. the better. Next one from uh, Peter Clements. I've had two failed attempts at 100% Brett beers. They were both three gallon, uh, 1044 original gravity, pitched thousand milliliter starter of Brett C, fermented at room temperature 68. After four weeks in primary, they both smelled acetic and went mm-hmm. uh, down the drain. What am I doing wrong? Too much oxygen. Uh, you know, when Brett gets uh, an abundance of oxygen, it produces acetic acid, which is vinegar. And you don't want your beers to taste of vinegar. There's a lot of people brewing um, sours and Brett beers in America today that believe in doing them quick and fast, and they're making these very uh what you get is acetone 
when you when you go warmer and faster, you get acetone. Is that the and, nail polish thing? Yeah, nail oh, polish. God, that is so horrible, isn't it? Yes. So the the Belgian brewers, they're all like you know you don't go above twenty C, sixty eight degrees Fahrenheit. You know that you never do that, and the reason they say that is because generally you end up with a beer that has a lot more acetone character, and so. You want to avoid that. You want to go slow and cooler, and you'll get a much nicer beer. But I've run across people who are making these beers, and they're just saying, well, you know, it's an American sour. It's an American Brett beer. It's like, you mean tastes like shit? Yeah, therefore what? (laughs) Full acetone and vinegar? No, 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 no. That's, you know, that's not a good beer. But people are drinking it and going, oh, yeah, it's got a real you know, bite to it, and that's really sour. And it's like, well, it tastes like vinegar and nail polish remover. Yes, horrible. I've had those where there's those two characteristics are really present, yeah. and I often think that maybe it's because home brewers are blinded to their own beer's characteristics mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. stoked that they brewed a sour beer, right, and so right. maybe they're not tasting what everybody else is tasting. You know what I mean? You can yeah. be blinded to the quality right. of your own beer. And that nail polish, there's just nothing more, nothing but less pleasant in beer. A lot of people, they taste it and they're like, oh, no, that's that's how it should taste. Really? I'm like, no, you just don't know what you're talking about. It's yeah. just just terrible. So it takes time. And, you know, that's one of the things. And so temperature and then also oxygen. You're getting too much oxygen in there, you're going to get acetic acid. It's going to taste like vinegar. You know, so um, cooler temperatures, uh you know, and just, uh, you know, give it time, let it work slowly and, uh, you know, limit the oxygen and, uh, you know, you should be good. Can you, how do we avoid oxygen? I'm sure you've said it a million times. Yeah. You know, um, seal off the container, you know, as you can, um, you know, the air locks and stuff that, that are available, they tend to, um, you know, while you're fermenting, you know, a lot of times people will introduce a lot of oxygen and then a lot of headspace. If you minimize the amount of headspace, like in a carboy, uh, towards the neck, it gets much narrower. If you fill it up to in that point, then your surface area that the oxygen can actually uh, reach the beer and fuse into the beer is, you know, like two inches across. If you don't fill it that high, then all of a sudden the surface area where the oxygen can get in is, you know, 14 inches across or 12 inches across, whatever it is. So it's a much bigger surface area. You get more oxygen in, you're going to get more acetic. You get, you know, to up into the neck. So what I like to do is um, do your initial fermentation and, uh, you know, where things are active, a little, uh, you know, a little lower, but then, you know, rack it into a smaller carboy. So you start in like a six, six and a half, rack it into a five, and then you can fill it up to the neck for the long, slow maturation period where it's you know, developing a lot of this character. And you you want no you want no oxygen in that secondary, right? Um, you know, it depends what you're what you're looking for. Um, you know, uh, a very tiny amount of micro oxygen, you know, that that can help, but uh, you know, it tends to be too much. So when they're looking at these giant wood uh, vats that they age a lot of these Belgian beers in, like a Flanders or something like that, the surface area to volume is. Um, you know, very small. So while you're getting oxygen across the wood, it's not the same as in a smaller barrel. In a smaller barrel, you're getting more oxygen through that, you know, um, because of the, the surface area ratio to liquid. So when people are doing these small little barrels, they're getting a lot of a lot of oxygen in. They need to be careful of that. 
Um, if you're doing uh, the carboy thing, different carboy caps leak more than others. The um, uh, better bottle, they ha- actually have, they did tests on the, the various stoppers and carboy caps to show how much oxygen goes through. And it was very fascinating. And their their stopper is actually pretty darn effective. And they, they I think they have that all on their uh, website. So is there no is there no stopper that's a hundred percent effective? Do all let in something? You know, depending on how it's sealed. Um, you could also try sealing off with, uh, you know, there's you know some sort of uh, wrap or you know you could wax seal it or something like that. I wouldn't completely you know seal it off against in case there's if the bread's still working, it's going to create some gas can create uh, pressure you don't want to uh, have the thing explode so you need to have it where it can it can release some some pressure if necessary so that tends to result in some oxygen getting in but again if that surface area is small very little oxygen will get in what about uh purging your vessels with co2 before like this guy said he had, he had it in primary sure. for four weeks mm-hmm. if he before he put it into the the, the primary right, right. what if he purged it with co2 uh you certainly can um you know, he must have a lot more oxygen getting in there. So I would wonder if his starter was like a stirred starter, getting a lot of oxygen in, and was, you know, he got a lot of acetic in that maybe, mm. and then pitched that in, and the acetic's just going to carry over. But he also might be getting a lot of oxygen, or he oxygenated his, you know, uh, wort and pitched the brat, and maybe he's also got a very loose. Uh, you know, some people just throw a you know foil cap on it. Uh, but if you got a lot, I would say, and and sounded like in a fairly short period of time, I'd say too warm and too much oxygen to start with. Okay, just one last question because I'm curious about it too. Uh-huh. If you if you because um, it says you know generic beer instructions, they want you to oxygenate right. your words. So right. if you're doing a Brett beer, should you just not do that? You know, if you want to grow Brett, you give it lots of oxygen. And it grows with massive amounts of oxygen, and you can if you're trying to grow it. But when you're trying to ferment something with brett, I think um, you can you can give it a little bit of oxygen to start. I wouldn't give it a lot. I okay. Think. How do you measure that? What does a little and a lot mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, unless you're going to get an oxygen meter, um, you know, uh, I would go you know half of what you would for a typical ale. I, I I've just so don't want to taste vinegar in my beers yeah yeah i I don't it's so hard to believe that there's people that they don't they don't really want to they just don't want to talk shit (laughs) just yeah it's just just nasty all right you want to do the next one you want to take a break first uh yeah let's let's take a short break when we come back uh we'll get into more of your questions right after this Ten, huh? Getting tired of that same old handcrafted beverages day after day? Are you looking for something with more diversity than your normal beer? Fellow BN Army member Michael Fairbrother, owner of Moonlight Meadery, is reviving an entire beverage category. Mead! The meads at Moonlight Meadery are all handcrafted from the finest honey on the market and are perfect for any occasion, like weddings, baby showers, or... Excuse me? Mead is not your average girly drink, mister, and Moonlight Meads can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Football games with the guys. Yeah. Barbecues with the guys. Yeah. Operating power tools with the guys. Yeah. Um, actually, sir, that's really dangerous. 
Good point, son. Next time you have something to celebrate or are just looking for a new tasting experience, pick up a bottle of mead from Moonlight Meadery. Now in 21 states, making over 60 varieties of mead from dry, semi-sweet to sweet. Break out of that craft beer low. Grab a bottle of Moonlight Mead. Can't find some? Then ask. No, make that demand some. Yeah! What'd you get? More brewing ingredients? Yep. You know what I love about Brewmaster's Warehouse? The $6.99 shipping. Well, yeah, but... Oh, the in-store classes for beginning brewers. Yeah, that's cool, but... Oh, oh, the brew builder. Creating and saving your recipes online is... Awesome! No, I'm... Yes, but... The cheese-making supplies. No. Oh, the wine-making supplies. Oh, the distilling equipment and liquor flavorings. All that stuff is awesome, yes, but what I really love is that the guy who runs it is totally hot. And, and that brew builder software is awesome. Oh, yeah. Brewmaster's Warehouse brings you flat rate shipping on great equipment and ingredients to make beer, wine, cheese, and spirits at brewmasterswarehouse.com. And if you're in Georgia, stop by Brewmaster's Warehouse Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Visit brewmasterswarehouse.com today because it's totally hot. Oh, yeah. A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeast, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's super yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read. Read your way to better homebrew. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. Speaking of testicles, how about that fine sponsor, Adam and Eve? I mean, we're, we're speaking of testicles here. Yeah, but we, you got to know your listener. So, speaking of boobies, 
Although, you know, no, um, our no one was speaking of, of it. But speaking of testicles. I mean, I, our listeners probably have one hand on their testicles right now. <laughs> Chances are... Pretending they're boobies. 80% have a hand on the testicles. Uh, I'm just saying. That's, that's pretty much what it, what it boils down to. Uh, our fine sponsor, Adam and Eve. They uh, sponsored us for a long time. What they've got going is uh, a great website full of uh, thousands and thousands of products. If you use the offer code uh, Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, you can get yourself 50% off just about any one item. You get yourself uh, free shipping. You get to choose three free adult DVDs from categories such as... Big boobs. Big boobs. And testicles. And testicles. Testicles and big boobs. Uh, Gay, anal, Asian, amateur... Uh, MILFs, all sorts of great categories, lots of interesting stuff. Uh, you know, it's not like uh, they're giving you the goat fucker DVDs. You actually unless get you to, want them. Unless you want them. Yeah, they got that category too. You get to choose which uh, three free DVDs you get. And then uh, they throw in a free extra sensual uh, gift. And you get all that for using the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com. Uh, again, use that code. You get the one item 50% off. You get the free sensual gift. You get to choose three free DVDs, and you get free shipping on the whole thing. So it costs you very little. You get a ton of stuff, and uh, seems to be a, a solid, upstanding company. It costs very. It's like a, I don't understand how anybody there's making any money. Like wh- wh- this, wh- this I, is a total loss leader thing. They're just trying to get you know get you to check it out, and and then you you're like, wow, they do have a lot of stuff here. Here's some stuff I can use. Yeah, you'll be shocked. It's cheap and it's good stuff. Yeah, cheap and easy. That's how we like them. Cheap and easy. Is that is that how you like your women? Cheap and easy? No, I like them expensive and impossible. <laughs> that's that's how I roll. That opens up your, your selection right. dramatically. They demand a lot and give nothing. Yes. Back to the questions from Matt uh, Geltzier. Uh, question about uh, large late hop additions, whirlpools, and hop utilization. Uh, Jamil, you note on Mr. Malty, uh, up to 15% utilization in a whirlpool, but does not, but you don't specify, uh, the time mm. of the whirlpool to get that utilization. Mm-hmm. Additionally, mm-hmm. a recipe may call for a large charge at five minutes with a subsequent whirlpool of various lengths. This process will yield more isophala? What is this? Isolpha. Isoalpha acid. Isoalpha. Isomerized okay. alpha acids. Got yes. it. Uh-huh. Then without whirlpooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides using a consistent formula plus trial and error or sending out my homebrew to a lab, is there any consensus on IBU formula adjustments for these late hop additions? Um, so none of the formulas work. It is impossible to come up with a formula that will work. And I keep telling people this, and they're like, oh, no, I think, you know, it's just a matter of... You know, d- d- brewing all this wort and testing it all and all that stuff, and then you'd have a formula that works. It's like, no, you wouldn't, because fermentation changes how much mm, isomerized alpha acids make it through to the final beer. So the amount of yeast you pitch, what kind of nutrients, what kind of temperature, what kind of activity, you know, the fermenter dimensions, all that stuff determine what your final IBUs are going to be. So... It's always just a guess, and there's no formula that's really going to help you. Um, so that's one thing. The only way to really know is to test at the end. Um, that said, when when the recipe is simple, um, I found the Rager formula actually works really well for us. It matches up. Um, we did our shallow grave, 
And I'm like, okay, 33 IBUs. We measured it after it was brewed and it was 33 IBUs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So based on our fermentation and everything that we do, you know, and, and I knew it would be fairly close to that. It turned out to be spot on. But So we just got lucky on that one. Um, as far as, you know, the whirlpool length, he's absolutely right. The longer the whirlpool length uh, at, at a high temperature, the isomerization just keeps going. So uh, if you, let's say you're you're boiling your, your, your wort, you shut off the burner, everything's right, real close to, you know, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. You throw in a handful of hops and... You decide to leave it sit there for an hour. You're pretty much getting close to uh, your your high utilization. Um, let's say utilization normally in a boil for an hour, you're going to get maybe depending on again depending on a lot of factors, you're going to get maybe twenty eight percent. If you just throw them in and let it sit there and it sits hot for an hour, you're probably going to get twenty percent. So you're going to get quite a bit of utilization. It is going to just continue to get more bitter. So the thing you need to do is, um, uh, you know, chill the wort as soon as possible. You're going to lose all those those delicate flavors. It's going to get more and more bitter. So immersion chillers are really good for home brewing. If if I could use an immersion chiller commercially, <laughs> I just might because you get to stop the isomerization. You get to trap a lot of those aromatic compounds and, because you're cooling the whole mass down really quick. So uh, that's why you do a whirlpool chiller and things like that. So, yeah, it really depends on how long. If your whirlpool sits hot for a minute, you're probably getting very little IBU contribution out of it. If you let it sit for an hour, you're probably getting close to uh, 20% or so. So it just it just varies with the amount of time. So you're saying um, you would in the pro brewery, there's nothing going into the wort to cool it. It's the vessel right. that cools it, right? Uh, you go through a heat exchanger, a plate heat exchanger, ah. like uh, Blickman has a Therminator plate heat exchanger. Um, it it works wonderfully at you know rapidly chilling wort down to fermentation temperature, but you know the wort that's sitting hot in the kettle during that time. It is getting more bitter, and you're losing some of the aromatics. Now, is there a reason you would do you, you would you're like, well, I would prefer an immersion chiller at the pro brewery if I had if there was such a product existed yeah, for, for certain beers, sure. Why? Um, just because again, you could lock in all the aromatic compounds, stop the bittering from happening. Uh, when we were first brewing uh, Evil Twin. Uh, it took us two hours to knock out from, um, you know, the whirlpool to the fermenter, the heat exchanger, you know, what we were able to keep up with. We were eventually able to get it down to about an hour, an hour and a half to transfer into 30 barrels into fermenter. And so what I would normally do with Evil Twin was add a massive amount of late hops. Because they sat hot in the whirlpool, we had to take out that massive amount of late hops and switch it over to dry hopping, which is a different character. It was getting too bitter? It was getting way too bitter, yeah. So now at our new brewery, um, I spent $10,000 on a really nice heat exchanger so we can 
knock out as fast as we can pump it, uh, pump the wort. So we can pump about a barrel a minute and it chills it down to whatever temperature we want at a barrel a minute. So the problem at the old brewery was that the, the heat exchanger was just not powerful enough? It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a very good heat exchanger and didn't have enough plates. And so, you know, um, with this, uh, in 30 minutes, we can, you know, have our entire batch chilled down. So it's much less of an issue with that. So the hotter it's, it lasts, it sits, the more bitter it gets and the more these, these delicate, uh, hop aromatics get lost. Um, if you want to use a, a heat exchanger, plate heat exchanger, um, like the Blickman Thermonator, it's a great heat exchanger. I would also get a Blickman, uh, hop rocket. So you can, uh, do, uh, like a, uh, uh, hop back. So you can put some, some leaf hops in there and run the, uh, work through there just before it gets to the heat exchanger and you'll get some of those great aromatics and they'll get locked in as it goes through the heat exchanger so that's another way of doing it without doing an immersion chiller all right next one from uh russell holland uh the nalgene bottles what is that nalgene bottles nalgene what are those um it's a brand name of um a plastic type of bottle um I keep just calling them now jeans, but they call them, um, you know, it's, it's like a, just a plastic bottle. Okay. Use them for camping and for lab work and different things. All right. Well, those things you use, he asks, uh, they are the laboratory ones or the more widely available ones? It depends on what you're using them for. Okay. Well, he says, I have a thousand milliliter, uh, now gene Eastman Triton Coly- Copolyester. Uh, quote, BPA-free bottle. Uh, he said, looks like it's intended for ladies to use at the gym. Uh, that is supposed to be good for up to 212 <laughs> degrees, and he wants to pour boiling water in it to sanitize it before uh, rinsing uh, yeast. Yeah, for ladies to use at the gym. <laughs> A lot of things flashed through my mind when you said that. Um, no, that's not what we're talking about. Um the the kind you use in the, for the lab work it tends to be a uh, polypropylene um, wide mouth uh, so you can get the yeast in and out much easier you know a narrow mouth uh, you know wide mouth polypropylene polypropylene is good uh, to a much higher temperature so you can actually autoclave them um, you know I, I guess you could use something like like that. Uh, you know, if it's good to 212 and you put 212 in it, it's probably going to start to get very soft. So I, I kind of avoid that. Um, and the ones I'm talking about, you get it for a couple of bucks. I mean, it's not like they're radically expensive. You go to uh, some of the online suppliers, look for wide mouth polypropylene um, con- plastic containers. Don't look for Nalgene. Look for wide mouth polypropylene. Okay, he does see, he does say down here that he, he remembers hearing Palmer say that you should use polypropylene bottles. Um, he said, uh, "Is copolyester okay though?" Uh, I I don't know. I you know it's a, another plastic. I I think that um, you know as far as is it you know will it hold liquid? Is it can it be made sanitary? Sure, um, it can't be sterilized, but it can be made sanitary. So then, yeah, I guess by those measures, it would be fine. What it holds liquid in it, it can be made sanitary. You can use it for yeast. But, 
you know, if you're really growing yeast and you you want something sterile, it has to be something you can autoclave. What about plastic leaching flavors into beer or leaching characteristics into yeast? Do you think that's more of like a uh, psychological? You see it coming out of that, and so you, yeah. you start tasting it. But right. You wouldn't know otherwise, right? I think a lot of they're you know newly um, uh, manufactured plastics. When they're you know they're, they're fresh plastics, they do exude a lot of uh, uh, compounds that. I suppose could flavor something. So if you have a new, it's like a new water bottle and you fill it, you know, if you don't rinse it out, you just fill it with water and try and drink it. You, you'll taste some of that manufacturing <laughs> stuff in there. So, you know, rinse it thoroughly, use, uh, you know, soapy water, you know, and get it cleaned out. Then I think it's fine. I don't think you're going to get much of anything. Even if you put super hot and it gets soft and it's 212 degree, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hotter it is, the, the more of these, um, plasticizers uh these compounds that make you know plastics pliable and all that um leach out eventually plastics when all that stuff leaches out they become brittle right so you've seen um plastic bottles that have been in the sun a long time Mm -hmm. yes they'll just crumble because a lot of that stuff has been lost so that stuff does come out you know and the hotter it is the more that stuff comes out so yeah you're getting some of that stuff i think if you, you wash it thoroughly I doubt you're getting anything in your beer that you could taste. Okay, this one is from uh, Rastabama. This is a, a quick one. How frequently are off flavors imparted from the CO2 used to keg? Should I be using an inline CO2 purifier? I, I would be shocked if anybody was, you know, unless you're getting your CO2 from, like, the ass of a cow or something. I think... I think you're not. I think that's methane. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Can you carb a beer with methane? Uh, well, carbonation by its definition inclu- is used with carbon dioxide. Oh. So you could methanoxide it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you could, you could, in, you could force get any gas into, into solution. Whether it'll stay once you've removed pressure. You know, and how long it'll stay, that's a whole nother thing. You know, they do like nitrogen, all sorts of stuff, oxygen. It all dissolves into a liquid. Uh, carbon dioxide is what you want. But, you know, most carbon dioxide that you can get in tanks, it's nice and pure. Um, I can't imagine what kind of skeezy place this guy's getting carbon dioxide that he would worry about it. Even, um, yeah, you, you should never need to worry about putting a filter in there. Um, you ever used one, an inline CO2 filter? No. You ever seen one used? Not in brewing. I mean, I'm sure maybe somebody's using it. I wonder yeah. what for. Uh, you know, there can be oils or things like that. I mean, there's some impurities in it, but really, I, there's so many other things to worry about <laughs> before you get to that point. I'd worry more, you know, people don't worry enough about fermentation and, you know, sanitation. Sanit- things and you know that aspect of it they don't worry enough about you know their their malt and their water and you know and even those things i think are low compared to you know people don't even focus on temperature control their fermentation and they worry about a lot of other things and the very first thing you should be worrying about is temperature and take it from scott who knows he's used a wet t-shirt yeah and and one with it yes (laughs) so you know, temperature control and fermentation, that's going to make a great beer. And 
I mean, give me the nastiest CO2 you want. And, you know, as long as the beer is, is well fermented, I, I bet you you're not going to taste it. So it's it's uh, very low on the priorities. If it makes you feel better, certainly wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I guess it's just, you know, it's these guys, just, there's no... They, they want to keep paying attention to the details. Right, and after a while, right. they run out of details to pay attention sure. to, so they start hunting for it. I would, I would agree with that. And, you know, and sometimes you want to spend money on some toys right. and do that stuff. Yeah. If you enjoy it, certainly do it. It's yep. not going to hurt anything. You ever heard of a pro brewery doing that? Is anybody, is anybody filtering their CO2? Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah? sure some of the bigger ones are, yeah. Uh, hmm. Nothing I would ever worry about. I mean, we get our CO2 delivered in a truck to a, get a thousand pound doer that they fill up and fine by me how do you get your methane delivered by a cow by a cow it comes they back the cow up to backs up to the to the door and then just cuts loose there yeah no i that's the one thing i've taken away from these shows for sure is methane. Um, yes cow farts no is that you control your you control your fermentation temperature you sanitize right. your equipment and you control your fermentation temperature and that's it i mean yep. it's just going to be drinkable unless you made unless you took a leak into your secondary i mean right, right? i mean right. that's that's oh, really what you should be great yeah. yeah yeah i was i just had that conversation with um i forget who they were not beer people and someone was talking about a mr beer kit mm-hmm. and i gave them the, the spiel you you yep. sort of and it's true like yep. it's because beginners use them and they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and if you give a good brewer a mr beer kit and they control their fermentation temperature mm-hmm. it's going to be a pretty good beer yep absolutely all right let's do a couple more after a break yeah all right Back after this. BN Army Hop Tech has a great discount waiting for you. Do you often find it difficult to find specific specialty ingredients for your homebrew recipes? Well, listen to this. Hop Tech stocks 59 different grains to choose from, 39 varieties of pellet hops, and 8 kinds of holy pops. And Hop Tech not only carries Y yeast and White Labs yeast for you, but also Fermentus 04, 5, 6, 23, 33, and T58 Belgian yeast, plus Cooper's Nottingham and Windsor yeasts. Got your recipe ready to go? Pick up some great brew gear like new long and short sleeved shirts, games, and more. HopTech's new website is being updated every day with new items. If you don't see it, call the shop. They're open six days a week. BN Army and AHA members get a 10% discount, and active military personnel get 15% off. Visit HopTech.com today for great selection, great service, and a great discount. HopTech.com. Downtown Joe's, where everyone is welcome, especially if you like drinking and tasting beer. Head brewer Colin Kamensky's favorite beers are the Tantric IPA and the Double Secret Probation IPA. But you'll have loads of others to choose from when you redeem your exclusive Brewing Network savings. Downtown Joe's is the best brewery destination and the hottest night spot in Napa. Colin invites all homebrewers and fans of craft beer to stop by and enjoy the great food and beer. Whether you're in the mood for riverside dining, live music, or just hanging out at the bar to meet a person of the opposite sex or a person of the same sex, Downtown Joe's has exactly what you're looking for. And now just mention the Brewing Network to receive a dollar off your beer at Downtown Joe's. That's right, take a dollar off every one of their great selection of craft beers, including the Lazy Summer Wheat, Golden Thistle Porter, and the Triple Dog Dare You. Come to Downtown Joe's and enjoy the laid-back atmosphere of Napa's best brew pub. Visit downtownjoes.com right now for current beers, the live music schedule, or to drool over their delicious menu items. Downtown Joe's, your neighborhood brew pub where everyone is welcome. Tonight is the night We bring the creature to life The 
Mr. Blitzkrankstein? Yes, J.P. Law. Everything is perfect for my next fermented creation. My daughter, the storm is too far away. We'll never have enough power to isomerize the creature's alpha <laughs> Yes, J.P. Law. We will. For I have in my possession the Tower of Power. Glickman's new Tower of Power is the evolution of automation. Control hot liquor, sparge, and mash temps like a pro. The Tower of Power is a high-quality gas-fired rim system that works with your current brewing setup. With ultra-precision, the tower can hold your mash to one-half of a degree Fahrenheit. Precision and repeatability. The Tower of Power is the answer to automatic, fast ramp times. See more at BlickmanEngineering.com. Bring your next creation to life with the Tower of Power. Dr. Glickman, with the Tower of Power, you can probably give me an afternoon at the pub to Enjoy a pint? Don't be silly, J.P. Gore. We have beer to brew. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones, no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. All right, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt? The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit AustinHomebrew.com to browse their extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have many clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brew Vent Yeast Fuel as well, Yeast Nutrient, and the all-new Body Builder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit AustinHomebrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply. AustinHomebrew.com to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're enjoying uh, a Palmerless studio. I think the whole level of methane is lower today. <laughs> Just saying. I wonder where you get your methane. That's where you get your methane. Let's do a couple more quick ones. This one's from Tom in Newbury Park, Cali. Uh, hey, guys, everything I've read defines the BU-GU ratio as IBU divided by the original gravity units. Mm-hmm. This seems really strange to me. Wouldn't it make more sense to compute the ratio based on the finishing gravity units? Wouldn't you want to balance bitterness against residual sweetness and not starting sweetness? Mm-hmm. What's the rationale? 
Well, you know, I've, I've just seen people say this all the time. They're like, oh, you got to take in where it finishes and all that. And initially I thought, well, yeah, there's some truth to that. But in fact, I'm not so sure. And I continue to use the BUOG uh, ratio when I write the articles for Brew Your Own Magazine. And what it is is you divide the IBUs by the decimal portion of the original gravity. So if it's, you know, um, 20 IBUs and you've got a uh, 1060 beer, you do 20 divided by 60 and you get, you know, 0.33 or whatever it would be. And that's your ratio. The higher the ratio, the more bitter the beer. The lower the ratio, the less bitter the beer. Uh, something like an IPA might be around a 1. Something like a Munich Hellas would be around a, you know, 4 or 3. The thing, though, about trying to use the finishing gravity is a couple of things. One is, you know, you may not have a prediction of that, you know, when you brew a new beer. OG, you know. Finishing gravity, you may not know, right? And the other thing is, finishing gravity is not a determiner of sweetness in a beer. A lot of people think, oh, you know, this was the old internet thing and very basic you know homebrew shop thing of well you know the higher the finishing gravity the sweeter the beer that is not true you can have a very dry beer that finishes higher you can have a very sweet beer that finishes lower we brewed a beer called uh, worry is a belgian triple aged chardonnay barrels finished out at uh like one play-doh half a degree play-doh I mean, like very very dry and but it has a sweetness to it. It has that heart Chardonnay character. It has an alcohol sweetness. It has, uh, uh, you know, a very, very sweet uh, character to it. Um, I give some to uh, another brewer. They're like, oh, man, dude, this didn't attenuate. You know, you need to attenuate out your Belgians more. I'm like, no, that is super dry. It has a sweet character to it because of, you know, the honey-like qualities of the Chardonnay barrels that we used the alcohol sweetness so it seems sweet but it's in fact quite dry so you're talking about perception of sweetness yeah and it's quite low in its finishing gravity i mean once the brett worked on it it's probably below you know one oh 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 it's maybe like a wine in a negative there are wines that seem sweet yet their finishing gravity is very low it's below one um Yet you can have a beer that has um, a higher finishing gravity, these dextrins that have no sweetness to them, and you can finish much higher, yet it seems dry. So using finishing gravity, I think, you know, starting gravity um, may not be any more perfect, but it's, you know, uh, something that's been used and something that uh, uh, can be a a fairly decent predictor of... um, at least, you know, because you have it at the beginning of your brew, whereas, you know, finishing gravity you may not have. So when you when you add the hops, you, you know, you don't have your finishing gravity. So that's why it's nice to use the starting gravity, I think. So there you go. Okay, but to put a finer point on the, the sweetness, uh-huh. like if you have a, if it finishes higher uh-huh. and tastes not as sweet as a beer that finished lower that tastes sweeter, mm-hmm. that's purely perception because physically particles or whatever for lack of a better term there are more in the higher finishing beer that would make it sweeter but it doesn't seem as sweet right this is all about perception right, but those the that those uh, the the stuff that's making up the residual gravity 
is not necessarily sweet. There are long chain sugars that are not sweet. Mm. They are dextrins. Um, it's it's a, just a uh, uh, you know a, a compound that has no sweetness to it. It's it's like they're making all these fake sugars now, or you know they, they're taking these compounds and tweaking them with like chlorine, and then all of a sudden it's really su- super sweet. It's how it interacts with your tongue. These compounds, some things are have a much higher sweetness than others. Certain alcohols have a sweetness to them. You know, the higher finishing gravity doesn't mean that there's sweeter stuff in there. You're not just tasting it. There's compounds in there that aren't sweet. Mm. You know, and the the simple sugars tend to ferment out. Um, so if something you know depends on the kinds of sugars that are residual as well. So what if you had a beer that finished um, it, it, it finished hot, you know a, a high gravity, but you wanted it to. And you purposely did that because you're brewing like a sweet stout or something, mm-hmm. but it wasn't coming across as sweet as you want it to. Mm-hmm. What could you do? Uh, you know, use less hops, less bittering. And, you know, one of the things is, and a lot, and, and I think the reason people got onto this, well, higher finishing gravity equals a sweeter beer is because people were not fermenting their beers well. You know, when this whole thing started and the, the knowledge around the homebrew shops and the internet was, well, it finishes higher, it's a sweeter beer. Because most people were not fully attenuating their beers out anyways. They weren't getting good fermentation, so the, the beers didn't quite finish fermenting. And so there was a lot of sweetness left over. If you fully attenuate them out and you've, they've consumed all these simple sugars, the beers don't taste so sweet. Got it. Okay, let's do uh, one final one here. Matt from Virginia. Good day, boners. I'm looking for tips on how to brew beer quickly, and most importantly, how to determine if something is finished fermenting. Speaking of our last question, uh, don't give me any BS about being patient and waiting an extra day. I'm already doing that, and you know what it is like to be thirsty now. Many of the pro brewers talk about how quickly they are producing their beer. Are there uh, economies of scale that we just cannot achieve as home brewers? Um, I have good practices for producing beer quickly. Uh, proper pitch rate and oxygen, low pitch temperature, free rise slowly, and finish high. But when my beer is finishing at 72, there's still a bunch of stuff floating around. Uh, is it in suspension because the temperature is high uh, and there's CO2 off-gassing, raising stuff into solution? Or does it suggest the yeast are still cleaning up? He's tired of waiting that extra day. What's up? Well, it's a little bit of both. And the, the way that pro brewers finish their beers quickly is filtering, filtration. So if you jam the beer through a filter... You strip all that stuff out, and it's ready to go. That's how they do it quick. If you are letting it settle with time, it takes time. So, there you go. That's it. Yeah. All right. Good show. Uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We're going to do another one here. And uh, uh, if you get in that chat room, uh, Scott will get your questions live for uh, the next show, and we'll uh, answer some of those. And if you uh, are thinking about it, Check out our uh, great sponsor, Blickman Engineering. Check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Lots of cool stuff on their website and a uh, bunch of great guys out there. Let them know that you uh, enjoy the fact that they support this show by send them an email or uh, go to the next uh, homebrew conference and tell them how great they are at their booth. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Check out the Brewing Network store. There's lots of goodies in there. There's books, shirts, hats, glassware, uh, growlers, all sorts of cool stuff. And when you buy that stuff, all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep shows like this on the air. So go check it out. Till then, brew strong, everybody. And up then. Up then.